Good morning. Today is Thursday, August 11th, 2022. Recently, someone I admire recommended a book for rabbis to read and to put into practice. I read it, and its lessons are applicable to synagogues, to many other businesses, and in varied areas of life and in relationships. And the book is Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Meyer is the founder of several award-winning restaurants in New York. Very, very successful. And, of course, the restaurants, each of them is different in style, in what they offer, at each of them, the food is excellent. That goes without saying. But he attributes much of his success and he pays most of his attention to other factors. And a core issue, a fundamental issue for Meyer, is the distinction between service and hospitality. Listen to how he puts it. Understanding the distinction between service and hospitality has been at the foundation of our success. Service is the technical delivery of a product. Hospitality is how the delivery of that product makes its recipients feel. Service is a monologue. We decide how we want to do things and set out our own standards for service. Hospitality, on the other hand, is a dialogue. <clears throat> Hospitality requires listening to that person with every sense and following up with a thoughtful, gracious, and appropriate response. It takes both great service, and great hospitality to rise to the top. He quotes a lesson from Mary Kay Cosmetics, who teach their salespeople that everyone goes through life with an invisible sign hanging around his or her neck, reading, Make Me Feel Important. He writes, within moments of being born, most babies find themselves receiving the first four gifts of life, eye contact, a smile, a hug, and some food. We receive many other gifts in a lifetime but few can ever surpass those first four. And it's not much of a surprise that we will crave those gifts for the rest of our lives. In the end, what's most meaningful is creating positive, uplifting outcomes for human experiences and human relationships, business like life, and certainly like shul is all about how you make people feel. It's that simple. 
and it's that hard. Now, to achieve that, you need excellence, and you need to pursue excellence. So, Meyer tells this story of a friend who was giving him some very good advice. The friend's name is Pat. The two of them were sitting in one of his restaurants, and uh, Pat says, I want you to take everything off the table. Make it just an empty table with a tablecloth on top. Nothing on it. So Meyer takes everything off. Then he takes one salt shaker and he puts it in the middle of the table. And Pat says to Danny Meyer, where is the salt shaker now? Meyer says, well, it's right where you told me to put it, in the center of the table. Pat says, are you sure that's where you want it? So Meyer looks at it very carefully. And then he says, no, actually, it's about a half inch off center. So Pat says, go ahead and put it where you think it needs to be. So Meyer moves the salt shaker to where he wants it. And as soon as he takes his hand away, Pat moves the salt shaker a few inches to the side. Now put it back where you want it. So Meyer takes it, carefully puts it back exactly where he wants it in the center of the table. Pat takes it again and moves it six inches away and says, now where do you want it? And Pat says, that's the lesson, meaning your staff and your guests and just substitute your members and your officers or however you want to describe it, your family members, your however you want to apply this. They're always moving the salt shaker off-center. Always. That's their job. It's the job of life. And until you understand that, you're going to get irritated every time the salt shaker is not perfectly where it needs to be. But it's not your job to get irritated. You just have to understand that is what they do. That is their job. And your job is to put the salt shaker back exactly where it needs to be and to let others know exactly what you stand for, why it has to be exactly there. People have to know what you consider to be the definition of excellence that you want. That's the only way to get it. And of course, that makes it crucial to create the right team. And in some applications of this, that may be more difficult to achieve. Well, if you have a business where you are in charge of hiring every person, you can decide who to hire and who not to hire. If you're part of an organization that depends on volunteers, you don't necessarily get to choose exactly who will be involved and who will not be involved. And even in terms of hiring, one person may not have full control over that. 
But he says, and again, take this specific, specific example and apply it to wherever it's relevant. It's not hard to teach anyone the proper way to set a beautiful table. What is almost impossible to teach is how to care deeply about setting the table beautifully. I can't tell you how many times that idea in using different words and different applications occurs to me where I want something a certain way and I can explain what it is that I want, but it's much harder to get someone else to care to want it that way as badly as I do. And it is certainly true in shuls, like in restaurants and every other place. It is crucial to have the right measurements of success. And this is a particular problem with shuls because what is success in a synagogue? And the truth is everyone has a different opinion. Everyone has a different point of view maybe based on their um, experience, maybe based on their position within the synagogue. So um, one point of view is the success of a synagogue is based on finances. Are we financially healthy? Another synagogue might say, or another person might say, well, the fact that you have money in the bank is not the sign of a healthy synagogue. It's the sign of a synagogue that is not spending the money to do more good. Many people think the sign of the health of a synagogue depends on the number of members. How many new members do we have? How many members do we have? Or people may say, how many people come on Shabbos morning? How many people attend synagogue? How many people attend uh, our most recent program or who are going to attend our next program? Very often people's understanding of success has to do with numbers. Very often, it's my point of view that those numbers are important, they are significant, but let's also consider what's the depth of the experience people have. Are people affected? Are people moved? Are people inspired? Are people uh, does it elicit in people the desire to volunteer, the desire to help others, the desire to learn more Torah, the desire to do more mitzvahs? I always think to myself, when people talk about, well, is it going well, is it not going well, and people are looking around the room to see, well, how many people are here, but what about looking inside. Do I feel that this is helpful, that this is valuable, that this is bringing me up, this is bringing me closer? So it's crucial to have that kind of perspective on what is the barometer of success? How do we measure it? And every business is different. Every family is different. One of the things that Danny Meyer says is he thinks about Will this yield today dollars, tomorrow dollars, or never dollars? And he says, today dollars are great, 
Tomorrow dollars are also great. The only thing that's not great is never dollars. And he explains as follows. Let's say, for example, he's using an example in a restaurant. So you go to a restaurant and you order a bottle of wine and the bottle is served to you and the waiter or waitress opens the bottle and while they're waiting, opening it, the cork breaks. Okay, well, it's a little embarrassing. Um, maybe it means that there's something wrong with the wine. Usually it doesn't, but maybe it does. So the first thing is the waiter should say, Meyer says, the waiter should say, I'm sorry I broke the cork. And the waiter should continue to say, I assume the wine is fine, but if it's not to your liking, just let me know and I'll replace it. Now, what happens with that is if the wine is good, the restaurant gets today dollars because they're going to pay for the wine and they enjoy it. If the wine is not good, then they're going to get tomorrow dollars because of the goodwill that they built up by immediately saying, if you don't like it, we're going to give you a new bottle. So they will swallow the loss of one bottle, but they're probably going to get repeat customers coming back for an entire meal. Establishing goodwill even if it doesn't lead to today dollars, leads to tomorrow dollars. And again, substitute dollars for um, donations or volunteering or anything you want to substitute it for. But it's so important to understand that sometimes the measurements we use are in the short term and sometimes they're in the long term. A very important subject that he treats at length is encapsulated in the statement, the road to success is paved with mistakes well handled. The best companies, I would say the best shuls also, and the best families, are those that distinguish themselves by solving problems most effectively. Business is problem solving. And that includes expecting the unexpected. And the worst mistake we can make is not to figure out some way to end up in a better place after having made a mistake. So he calls that writing a great last chapter. And he tells numerous stories about what it means when a mistake has been made, or even if a mistake was not made, but something negative happens, and they figure out a way to write a great last chapter. Whatever mistake happened, happened. And the person on the receiving end will naturally want to tell anyone who's interested all about it. That's to be expected. You can't do anything about that. While we can't erase what happened, we do have the power to write one last episode so that at least the story ends the way we want it to end. If we write a great one, we will earn a comeback victory with the guest. And sometimes we even write a great last chapter when it was the guest, not us, who made the mistake. For example, if someone spills 
his or her glass at the bar, we pour another round, period. Period. When you acknowledge a mistake and you genuinely express your regret, most people will almost always give you another chance. For example, a mistake as simple as a dropped plate of food. So you have a waiter or a waitress and they're bringing out six dishes for six diners at a table and they drop one plate. So now what are you going to do? You're going to replace the dinner of the one that you dropped, of course, but it's going to go take time to make it over again. Does that mean that the other five people at the table are going to have to wait for theirs so you serve them all at once? And that means that their food's going to get cold? If you serve the five whose plates are ready, that means one person is going to be sitting there with nothing to do. It's very awkward. So their policy is we deliver the five plates that are ready. Then we check on the sixth guest whose dinner we're going to make over again. We check what they've already eaten and we come up with a quick and complimentary mid-course. Maybe we'll bring a bowl of soup or a salad. Complimentary for them to enjoy while we remake and replate the missing dish. Again, they write a great last chapter so that, yes, a person will say, you know, I went to dinner and they dropped my dinner, they dropped my plate. And then they provided me with this present so that I wouldn't have to wait without eating while they were making it over again. You make sure that the story ends the way you want it to. Meyer says, when something goes wrong, it is crucial to apologize and not to give an alibi. An alibi is not an apology. An alibi is an excuse. Well, we're short-staffed. Well, we're too busy. Well, that's not helpful. You need to apologize. You need to give a plan of action. Please enjoy this now while we remake your dinner and bring it to you as quickly as possible. And we need to do something that adds generosity. And so very, very often if some mistake happens and we want to give you a gift certificate for half off your next dinner. Now, again, the restaurant will lose money on having given half off for the next uh, uh, dinner, except for the fact that if the person comes back with another four people and they would not have been there again except for that, now they have four more diners that they did not have before. And they have goodwill. And I hope that we can see, I certainly can see, so many ways that this is translated into events in our family life, in our relationships, and, you know, as the rabbi of a shul, in shuls. These are ideas we try to implement here at Adath, and we need to make an effort to improving in these areas. Not only in shul, there are many, many businesses that will benefit from this, and certainly in our relationships. And here's the key. 
Hospitality starts with the genuine enjoyment of doing something well for the purpose of bringing pleasure, I would add pleasure and meaning, to other people. Friends, I want to wish you a great day, and I look forward to seeing you soon in person.